you go out with a, your canoe and you start with paddling, you're sitting, the sun is shining, you have the nature. Um, the peace and quiet and all the things you can do. Well, you get to roast marshmallows and hot dogs and swim. Well, I'm gonna blow, baby, before he's my mind. Yeah, I'm gonna blow, baby, before he's my mind. Hanging out down here, keeping the red all the time. And I'm gonna blow, baby, before he's my mind. The world becomes simpler out there. So this is going to be a great story if we live through it. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope I get to see you out there. This is the Boundary Waters Podcast. My name is Aurora Gallagher. I'm from Grammarie, Minnesota. Grew up here, born and raised. This summer, I spent 16 days canoeing in the Quetico Canadian Wilderness with YMCA Camp Minogin up the trail. Is that the first time you'd been to Quetico? Yeah, that's the first time I'd done any trip in the Quetico. I have family that's done trips there, but I'd never explored it before. Have you been on Boundary Waters trips? Yes, I've done both Minogin trips and family trips. My parents have been taking me on going canoeing for as long as I can remember, and this is my third year doing Minogin trips, so I've done a one-week with them and a two-week just in the Boundary Waters. For people who don't know, what is Minogin? Um, It's like a wilderness exploration camp. They're located on Bearskin Lake, and they take groups out doing backpacking trips and canoeing trips. Um, it's super cool because you get to go out and do trips that you like would not usually be able to do, and the people there are awesome. If you are going to Quetico, what entry point do you use? How do you get into the Quetico Provincial Park from the Gunflint Trail area? Um, well, we drove... We packed our stuff, and so we drove from Bearskin all the way through Portage and then up to the Canadian border and drove for a couple hours through Canada and dropped in at French Lake, which is just at the start of the Quetico. We got all of our things registered and our boats and stuff, and then we just dropped in there. So how did you get ready to prepare for a trip like that? I mean, 19 days is a long time. Yeah, um, it was, there's a lot of food that you have to pack. It's really heavy. The first thing we did was we planned our route. Our guide, Kian, he had already picked out a couple ways that we could go. And so he talked with our group. There were three of us. He talked it over with us and like decided what we thought would be the best because there were different difficulties of them and just like making sure we'd be able to handle what we were doing so that it wouldn't be too like hard for us to <laughs> complete. And then we got our food. We did food plans for all the days we packed. You have the same lunch every single day, so you just have a big lunch bag. And then you have dinners and breakfasts, which are different. And then you just pick out whatever you want from there. And then you pack all your clothes and you really don't bring much because you don't want to carry it. So yeah. And do you mind sharing what was in your lunch pack? What are the things that you like to eat out there? Well, there's, we call it pem or pemmican, and it's like a granola, and I think it, there's dates in it, and like oatmeal, I believe, and granola and raisins, and I think chocolate chips as well. 
and you can and there's milk powder in it as well so you can put your water into that and so it's more of like a cereal a bit easier to swallow and then there's cheese which gets so gross <laughs> um it was like it stinks so bad um and then i didn't i don't eat the cheese after a couple weeks and it's like oh and then there's do some people eat the cheese the stinky cheese okay yeah they do and it's the guide kian he was like he was like no i'm gonna keep eating the cheese until the last day and as you were like passing it over you could like smell it and it's like oh um personally no and then yeah there's the cheese the pen there's sausage it's like summer sausage rolls and then those are really good up until a certain point they get a little gross but whatever (laughs) then there's dried apples and bananas and raisins and maybe cranberries in there as well and then there's chocolate chips that you put in there and then that's about it and sometimes you put your leftovers that you're gonna want to eat from breakfast or from dinner into your lunch so that you can have that as well okay so you have to be very careful about saving food and not bringing too much just the right amount what other things did you have to plan ahead for in terms of gear to bring i'm guessing that monogen provided the canoes and the paddles and the life jackets and things yes they did they provide pretty much everything you'd need except for like your personal gear so you need to bring all your like your raincoats and your clothes that you're going to wear and your shoes that you're going to bring as well but they give you the canoes the paddles the packs that you're going to take and you pack all of your stuff in Duluth packs which are pretty big they're not super easy to put on when there's a ton of stuff in them but they're really efficient for carrying everything you need for people who've not ever been to the Boundary Waters or even Quetico, um, could you share how the two places are different? The Quetico, I think, is a little bit less maintained. And so the Boundary Waters, a lot more people explore the Boundary Waters. It's a lot easier accessible. Where the Quetico, the beginning of it, as you are starting off, we put it on French. The campsites were pretty well maintained. There were also sandy beaches, which was really different from the Boundary Waters, obviously, where it's very rocky. The sandy beaches died off when we got a little farther in, though. And the campsites, as we moved downward toward, back toward America, the they got less maintained. But there were campsites everywhere that we went. And so, but the wildlife is pretty much the same. And the lakes are a lot bigger in the Quetico, though. Just like generally speaking, there's obviously smaller lakes, but they are pretty pretty big. And what about the portaging? How, is that different or the same in Quetico? Um, it's a little bit different just because once again, they're not as well maintained. So again, the farther you get in, the less maintained they are. And Boundary Waters, they're very used. So they're very clean. There's not a lot of branches or anything in your way. And in the Quetico, they're a little bit rockier, a little bit more like sticky. <laughs> Yeah, the terrain is just a little bit different. How did you do carrying a Duluth pack on the portages out there? Um, It's usually pretty okay. They're not, I mean, at the beginning, they are definitely very heavy because, again, we had 16 days worth of lunch, breakfast, and dinner, which is not all in one pack because that's like 150 pounds of food. But 
you kind of just, I don't know, I'm like focusing on the ground as I'm trekking out and I'm, we're all singing songs or doing whatever. And so if you get into the rhythm to it, it's honestly not too bad. Tell me a little bit about who was on the trip and, and how you all came together. Well, our guide, um, his name was Kian and he was, I think, 22. And then Zemo, Moxie, and I, we were 14, 15. And so there were only three campers, which is why we chose the route that we did. And one counselor, so there were four of us in total, which was nice. We got to take two canoes instead of having extras, which was a big help because a lot of canoes can be kind of difficult. But we all got on really well. We were a very musical group. Um, For the first couple days, we were like on the same route as the other Quetico groups, just so that before we could break out, branch our own ways. And they were at the end of it, they were like, Every time we passed you guys, we could always hear you singing. Our groups never sang that much. So um, we were we had a lot of laughs. We got we all got along really well. It was it was really cool. That sounds really fun. You were out for 19 days. How were you doing like a week into the trip? A week in, it had gotten a bit easier because at the beginning, you're kind of struggling to be like, oh, wow, I'm... <laughs> This is hard, and then a week in, you're really getting used to it, and it's super nice because then, by then, you've gotten really used to not having all the things that you'd usually have, like unlimited access to any like ways of entertainment or like being on electronics or having being able to go places that you want to go or hang out with different people. So then you're really getting into the groove of like figuring out how to do your own kind of thing, and we played games a lot with the group members. We brought cards and stuff, and so. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Did anything really unexpected happen out there? There were a couple things. The first one was we were going like kind of just meandering on this river and we were like, okay, there's one beaver dam. That's okay. We'll just take the stuff out of our boats because we brought a Kevlar and a Woody, which we couldn't just slide them over the dams. And so we we're like, oh, okay, we'll just take the stuff out of our boats, put them in, whatever. And then we do that a couple times and we're like, oh, this is like a lot of beaver dams. And we ended up going over seven beaver dams <laughs> and they were like not very far apart. So it was getting to the point and it's like, this is so frustrating because if we would have brought like a plastic canoe, we would have just been able to slide our stuff over and not take anything out. But the unloading, reloading process, and it was muddy around the beaver dams. It wasn't just like solid ground, you know. And so it was just a really tedious process and it took a bit longer than we had anticipated. But we, right after that was the lake we were staying on that night. So it was okay. So you had a major hurdle and seven beaver dams before you could settle in for the night. Was there anything else that, you know, was really interesting or something you learned out there? I don't remember like the exact specifics, but our guide really liked beavers. And so we got there were a lot of beavers there and again the beaver dams and he had so many beaver facts to share every time we saw one and that was really cool and just got to learn a lot about like the wilderness and about certain plants was was cool like which like oh this is edible this is not edible (laughs) do not eat that or yeah we just got to learn a bunch of cool stuff about the wilderness which is really useful and cool so you did some foraging out there what kind of foods did you find to eat We stayed on this island, it was called Blueberry Island, and there were a lot of blueberries there. So we spent a couple hours gathering those and we made a blueberry cobbler out of them, or like a blueberry crisp, and 
I'm not even kidding you. It was like one of the best things I've ever eaten. Maybe that's because I was eating trail food for a couple days before that, but it was so good. And then we got fish and there were just some other kinds of berries. And we made a tea out of pine needles, I think, which was not the best, but it wasn't terrible. (laughs) Was it like cedar tea, maybe? I think so. Yeah, we boiled it down and then it was like that. It was really weirdly sweet, which is not what I was expecting at all. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you fish? Yeah, yeah. We brought a couple of fishing. We brought two fishing poles. I didn't fish very much, but Kian fished a lot. So one night we ended up with three of them, which was enough. We fried up fish for all of us. We brought breading. And then we found a fishing pole along the way, which was nice, but we did not use it, but we did grab it just so that it wasn't sitting out there. You are now two weeks in to the Quetico experience. How are you feeling? How is it going for you? Um, it's feeling greasy. <laughs> My hair was definitely, <laughs> I was not very clean. Um, but it was cool. You could definitely, we could all definitely feel ourselves getting stronger and a lot more efficient. So like at the beginning, getting ready in the morning was taking us an hour and a half, two hours. And by then we were, it took us half an hour to get out, which was really nice because then you get more time to paddle. And the group was getting closer at this point. We were laughing at the things that were just not funny (laughs) or just, we had a lot of weird like inside stuff and, or like inside jokes. And we kind of just were living in our own world, so to speak. And it was it was really cool. We all got to grow together as we were on the trip. Did you keep in touch with each other after that? I don't talk to the guide, but I do talk to the other two people that I went on my trip with. I'm actually, I'm like 90% sure I'm going on the same trip as one of them this summer. And then the other one is going at the same time, but on a different trip. And are they from here like you, from the, the north? Or are they from elsewhere? Um, both of them are from Minneapolis. So they're kind of far away, but they're familiar enough with the area. Was it a different experience for you being from kind of the North Woods and then the Minneapolis travelers? Did you ever talk about if it was different for each of you, you know, being rural, but then having urban friends along? I think all of us had different experiences just because of how we'd all grown up, the things that we were doing in the wilderness, you know? So, like, Moxie, her family comes up here a lot. They do trips a lot. And where Zemo hadn't really done very many trips before and was just doing them with Minogen. And I live up here, so I do stuff like that a lot. And so I think all of us had slightly different... It was just a... We all learned and got different things out of the trip. And what did you get out of it? Um, I definitely learned how to, like, be myself more. I definitely, like, learned how to stay in touch with, like, who I am and remembering that, like, everything can be pretty simple if you just, like, focus on the easier things or yeah, if you focus on the, the smaller things or, like, the big picture of stuff, it's cool. I got some really good friends. I got some really cool skills. And I got a really cool new mindset of, like, I can do this. I can handle myself on my own, but also, like, be with other people for that long. Because being with other people for that long can be really... You have to learn how to communicate. So I learned 
I got good communication skills from it, even though we bickered just a little bit and it was just for like a day and then we figured it out and it got easier. So communication was a really big thing on the trip and just how to like let loose kind of because on that kind of stuff, you can't really be too serious because then it's like, oh, this is, (laughs) then you're really thinking about it and it's like, oh, I'm out here for so long and I stink so bad. (laughs) Did you go swimming, Aurora? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we did, but you're like, I don't know, we're, you're like stepping in mud a lot. Your boots are definitely, because you are in your boots all the time, except for when you're in camp where you're in maybe like sandals or something. And, um, but yeah, we swam pretty regularly, except for at the lakes where they were just like gross. <laughs> but other than that, yeah. You are now just a couple nights away from having to come out of Quetico. Were you looking forward to leaving? Did you want to stay? day longer what what was your mindset um it was like totally a mix of both because a couple days before we had a really long portage and we were in a different part of the canadian wilderness it wasn't the quetico it's called the crownlands and that is totally uncharted there's no campsites there's no portages the woods are thick the terrain is bad and so i was like oh i'm so ready to get out of this but um it was kind of cool because we got to learn how to use compasses and stuff and how to like navigate through the woods while having packs and canoes and stuff. But I was definitely like, oh, I'm really going to miss this. But I was looking forward to seeing my family and my friends and just kind of being back with the food because the food that they serve at Minogen is so good. They give you like they we have banquets at the end of every week and it's always like a big look forward to at the end of a trip. Cool. So I understand that you've got an even bigger trip planned this summer, right? Yes. Yeah, I do. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, I'm doing a 35-day canoe trip this summer. I'm not sure where to, but it is on a river. It's a, I think it'll either be the Pigeon River, the Albany River, or the Blood Vein River. And so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm doing it in June through July. And are you going through Minogen again, or are you doing a different kind of format? Um, yeah, it'll be through Minogen again. This is their second longest trip, I believe. And then as you get older, you get to do longer trips, the more trips that you've been on. And this is one that you have to be recommended for. So like, because I did the Quetico, um, the guide recommended us to be like, oh yeah, they can all handle going on the Norwester, which is the long trip. Is there anything else that you want to share about your 19-day trip in Quetico? Um, words of advice for people who, who maybe want to do a similar trip? Yeah, I'd say if you have the opportunity, totally go for it because it's super cool. It's so beautiful. Um, it can seem super intimidating, but once you get out there, it's pretty easy, easy going. And um, yeah, I'd say if you have the opportunity, take it. And then I ended up dropping my water bottle down like a waterfall (laughs) into this like log dam and I never got it back. Yeah, so that was one of the things that I just like totally forgot about. But I'd brought two water bottles and I found a water bottle on a portage the next day, so I took it. Oh, so serendipitously you found a water bottle? Yeah, I did. It was pretty funny because we were like, I mean, I brought two anyway because it's easier to bring two. And then I'd lost one and I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, that's, shoot. <laughs> um, but then I was like, it's okay. I still have one. And then on the next portage we were on, 
I was like, oh my gosh, guys, look what I just found at the end of this portage, this bright blue water bottle. And it was mine. <laughs> yeah, we were, it had the name Dave on it. So if your name is Dave and you were in the Quetico this summer and you lost a water bottle, thank you so much. Um, sorry. So are you going to bring Dave's water bottle with you on the big trip? Yeah, Dave is, Dave is coming with me. He's my good luck charm now. <laughs> That is so great, Aurora. Well, will you come and talk to us again after you do the 35-day river trip? Yes, of course. We would love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was super fun to talk. You can travel along with the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast in every season, with new episodes produced monthly. To see photos inspired by the stories from this episode and to listen to past segments, go to the podcast drop-down menu at WTIP.org. My name is Tim Ingrog, and I work as a district recreation wilderness and trails manager I'm out of our LaCroix Ranger District and Laurentian Ranger District which is the western side of the Superior National Forest. It's great to talk to uh, someone at um, Lac LaCroix. That's very exciting. Yeah. The topic this month that we want to engage people with is the use of augers. Yeah, there's um, ice augers. Of course, there's uh, hand-powered or people-powered. And then, um, as many people are aware, there's gas uh, motor-powered as well as electric motor-powered ice augers. Gas-powered and electric ice augers are are both considered motorized and, as such, are prohibited in the federal wilderness of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Some might ask, you know, why an electric auger? The electric auger was not in regular existence prior to 1964. Basically, both electric and gas-powered motorized augers fall into the category of motorized equipment or motorized tools. It is important to note band members of Grand Portage, Boys Fort, and Fond du Lac, uh, the tribal band members, um, actually do have a, a Native American rights under the 1854 Treaty Authority uh, to be able to use a, a motorized auger, uh, and, and visitors you know, may or may not see those in use depending upon what lake they're on, and, and if there's a, a tribal band member there fishing and, and using that. There is that exemption. Uh, it has to be a, a, a band member of, of those three uh, bands. Shifting gears a little bit, um, I understand that the Forest Service is looking for some helpers. Yes, that's true. Uh, we are right now actively recruiting for volunteers uh, to be able to work with our wilderness crews during the summer months. So our, our East Zone uh, Gunflint Ranger District in Grand Ray, the Tofty Ranger District in Tofty, as well as uh, the, the central region, the Quishway Ranger District out of Ely, typically can be uh, anywhere from two to three months, depending upon the individual's availability uh, for the summer, and basically camping and traveling, portaging through the Boundary Waters, working on campsites, portages and trails, a variety of projects uh, in all the weather conditions. Volunteers do receive a monthly uh, reimbursement stipend for their, for their expenses, Okay, that sounds like a fun opportunity for the right people. Yes, it, it is. Uh, it's a real good um, opportunity to kind of see what it's like. 
or for college students looking for something for a couple months during the summer season. It's a, it's a good way to, to work with our folks in wilderness on the forest and it gives us the opportunity to, to get to know uh, potentially future uh, employees uh, to work in wilderness too. If it works out well and they enjoy, enjoy the work, um, it's often been a stepping stone for, um, for uh, people to apply for, for jobs with us with the Forest Service. And where would people find more information on that? The, the notice kind of posted on the Forest social media, like the Facebook page, as well as on our website. I have a note here um, about the Student Conservation Association. Is that different from the volunteer effort? Yeah, it is. Student Conservation Association is a national organization that, that hires uh, students kind of more at the college age and, and older uh, to be able to work in natural resource management across the country. And so they partner with um, federal land management agencies, such as the, the Forest Service or the Superior National Forest. A student works so many hours in a season, they can get an eligibility for an AmeriCorps grant for their education, some of their education costs. So that's another uh, positive there, in addition to getting a, a, a weekly stipend through SCA. And also, uh, we are um, looking for some positions through SCA to work at our front desks, um, you know, doing visitor services uh, information, uh, issuing boundary waters permits. And the SCA.org org uh, would be the place to go to start. That sounds good. Um, anything else you want to add, Tim? You know, we're we're looking at a lot of bare ice conditions out there, not a lot of snow. Um, hopefully, people will be out using their augers and and going fishing. Are you seeing anything in particular on Lac Lacroix? Nothing a whole lot different. We always emphasize that uh, to take extreme caution when when being out on the ice uh, for any lakes or especially any rivers because the ice thickness is not going to be consistent. Ice is never 100% safe no matter what uh, the air temperatures have been. Be prepared, take all the the necessary precautions to, to be in a variety of conditions in the outdoors. Well, thanks so much for talking with the Boundary Waters podcast, Tim. Thanks for all of that good information. Yep, sounds really good. Thank you for the time and questions. Appreciate it. The WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast is the place to connect with all things wild. It's where you can hear stories from all of the people who visit this amazing designated wilderness within the Superior National Forest. We'll be at Canoe Copia March 8th through 10th. Just visit the WTIP Podcast booth to record your favorite canoe country story. We'd love to hear it. Stories recorded at Canoe Copia may appear as part of future podcast episodes. The Boundary Waters Podcast is supported by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and WTIP North Shore Community Radio. Our theme song is by The Bitter Spills. Come on, girl, get your coat on, get up here.